from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to S.P. Somtow's episode on our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode, so if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The links to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So, JP. So, Christine. We are batch recording as we do, so we don't have any updates to personal progress. But we do have a question for our listeners. Yes, we do. Yeah, so... (laughs) As we are out of a year of Vela, people are starting to do other things with their cereals. And I want to hear, what are you doing? Where else are you putting your cereals? Are you going KQ-wide, direct sales, into other mediums? I want to hear all the things. Yeah. What are you doing, Christine? Uh, Starting to look at going into KU is is where I am at with it right now. So um, waiting until we're done season four. And then I think that's the way we're going to go. Um, but we'll see in the upcoming in coming months, but that's the plan right now. What about you? Um, so I believe season one is wrapping up November, end of November. So then by July of 2023, uh, we're going to pop it into, I think, KU. Actually, I don't know. We might do wide. I have no idea. <laughs> but what I do know is uh, I'll be narrating it as well. So um, amazing. We'll be so audio. It up somewhere. Yeah. That's so great. definitely want to get in the audio space, want to get it out to other readers. So that's the goal. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us all the things. Can't wait yes. to hear from you. Yes. What are you doing? Hey, Christine. Hey, JP. Did you know that Pro Writing Aid is hosting a free virtual summit on the Science Fiction Writers Week? I sure did because I signed up. It's August 29th till September 2nd, and they have some great authors, and I'm so excited to join. Yeah. Uh, So this is their biggest event, uh, and they'll be hosting over 30 sessions on topics like editing, outline, drafting, and Uh, interviews, like you said, uh, with best-selling authors like Andy Weir. So the registration link is ProRedigate.com, Sci-Fi Week slash sign up, and all of the spaces are hyphens. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes so that you can check that out. Yeah, and the best part is that it is completely free for ProWritingAid users. So if you want to write that best-selling science fiction novel, you don't want to miss it. 100%. uh, Definitely interested. So when you attend... Both and or one of us will be there in spirit as well. Yes. And as always, if you don't use ProWritingAid, use our discount. Serial20. S-E-R-I-A-L 20. Serial, like the killer, not Not the the breakfast. breakfast. So JP, let's talk about Later Press. So Later Press is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day in terms of discoverability and new features. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on Later Press and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection 
and then you can put your uh like we put nerds in the collection uh so that ideally if we do any spin-offs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces you can put those books in the collection which yeah. is really nice and it's a really nice way of like hierarchical hierarchical uh pieces to it which is really cool yeah um yeah, and it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. It it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and I did the same thing, um, although I uploaded... Uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place, you know, to, to direct mm-hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool... Yeah. yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. Yep. And the cut is just 5%. Yeah. So test it out. Try it out. Yep. Laterpress.com. See you later, press. All right, so we have this excellent hook in episode one. Uh, Kim starts off with, our school has many secrets. I'm curious, how do you go about crafting hooks? Okay. Uh, When I was starting off as a writer, I I wrote a lot for Asimov Science Fiction Magazine. And... um, uh, one day, I wa- went into the office of the editor, George Sivers at the time, and there were a bunch of people sitting around the table, and he handed me a big stack of manuscripts. I think he said, would you mind rejecting these? And I said, well, <laughs> and he, he said, and, and, and I could see that everybody else was wildly fighting. And, and this was a magazine that actually would send you a note saying that, there's almost good enough, so, so uh, and basically, what what we had to do, basically, if the first if the first page had not grabbed you, you could you could probably tell that the story wasn't going to work. So what we had to do was 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 try to filter out everything so that it could be passed up to the next. So so one of the things I learned was that the first paragraph is incredibly important um, you know um it's like it's like going through a huge supermarket and like there's there's um you know a, a hundred kinds of coffee but there's one that you actually you see it and you actually want to buy that one even even though you have have no clue that it's any good it just um, okay so the so crafting a hook is for me it's about um saying something that doesn't give anything away and yet makes them want to stay with you. 
it can also be um, something really shocking that you don't explain until much later. That also works. Or, 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 or um, something that shouldn't make sense. And yet the reader thinks, if I just hang in there, it'll make sense. That's that. That's that. That then the one that you mentioned, our school has many secrets. That's a very um, that's a very classical hook. It's a, it's, mm -hmm. it, I, I think it's it's like it's like the it's like classical music. It's, it's how a symphony begins. It 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 it's it's a, a promise mm -hmm. uh, that you're going to give them something, and you better give it to them later, or yeah. they'll, they'll never read you again. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So yes. So. There it is. <laughs> I love so, that. And shout out to Asimov's great magazine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, that magazine sort of changed my life because they were the first magazine to start buying my stories regularly. And this was in the early 80s. So, so um, quite a while ago. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you use theme or armature in your work? When I was looking at these early episodes, kind of the theme that jumped out to me was that experiences, even if they're frightening, are worth having and shape who we are. Do you use theme in your work? Does that guide your work? I'd love to hear more about that. Well, um, well, there are some underlying themes. I mean, I think that in a way, it's uh, if I were an academic and I could analyze uh, my work, I'd probably give you a better answer. But, that, <laughs> that, but, but there are themes that run through a lot of my work. And one of the themes is actually redemption. Uh, I, in most of my work, there's a path, there's a path to redemption for even the most hideous character. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that I think is, I'm not sure if it's, a, it's doing these serials or not, because they're more sort of lighthearted, but but that is a theme that and and also I I found that um, uh, one of the things that you'll find in a lot of my work is um, is a sort of uh, reinvention of mythology of, of of timeless stories that have already existed, uh, sort of, uh, sort of kind of reinventing them for a new audience. That, that's something I've done quite a lot. So when we looked at this first episode in terms of character and looked at this protagonist, Kim, uh, yeah. we noticed the, the motivation or the want in this episode, you know, it's, it's to make movies, uh, but there's this need to, to stick with something, including to like stick with their friends. Uh, and so I'm curious, how do you go about crafting characters and especially this like motivation versus need or want versus need? Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a very interesting question, but, spend all day talking about this question. But <laughs> first, um, you, you can't escape the fact that every character is somehow already inside your mind, uh, right? Because you can't really get them from elsewhere. But um, a, 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 I think a writer is, is like an actor in a sense. Um, each character is, is like, he's got to get into that person and not be himself, uh, and so yeah. Um, so I, it's been a long time since I was a, a sixteen-year-old kid. Uh, so, um, so I had to think about. Uh, uh, but fortunately, there's uh, I'm I'm running a youth orchestra, so I interact with them fairly often. 
um, so um, I think that um, if you boil down a character to this character is like this and he wants this and he wants that, that's a good start, but it's not a good way to, uh, to have a fleshed out character because characters are contradictory. They may think they want this, but actually they want that. Or but actually this is just their way of what they tell themselves to avoid thinking about wanting that, something like that. And you'll see that Kim is like that too. He, he thinks that, um, um, that his way of focusing really is to use is to use a Rubik's cube to sort of um, to to try to prove to himself that the world is manageable, that that the world that that there's a solution to everything. And um, one of the things he has to learn is that either that there may not be a solution, mm -hmm. or that the solution is 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 not really a solution. It's really another question, right? So um, so yeah, I think when the when the um, the Calvecs, the, the the kids get together and they solve mysteries. I mean, that's sort of the, the premise of it. But 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 there aren't re any real mysteries except the mysteries that are in their own um, that that are that are part of themselves. But because what really happens is not so much that they discover some dark truth about the world outside, but what they just they um, they learn things about each other and themselves and. And so, yeah. Um, when, when you write a character, you have to you have to know that it's uh, that you can only show a, a little bit of the character. Everything else has to be interior. And so, um, one of the advantages of of a novel that you don't have in a film is that you can be inside somebody's mind and um, be looking out at the world. If you're if you are working on a film, everything is like. The audience is looking in, and everything that the character thinks you have to reveal. The character can't say, "Oh, I'm angry," or he has to act in some way. But you you can have a character in a novel just say how they're feeling. You can have you can have that, but it's still easier. Uh, it's still no. It's still um, better not to have them just say say everything like that all the time. You, you really, it's better to um, to um, to to show it by uh, by some kind of uh, by by how they react to something uh, uh, around them rather than for them to just boldly explain their emotional state, right? Um, and I think this is something I actually learned from working in film, but I apply it in in my writing as well. Um, I'm trying to um, show how what a character is is. Without having the character just tell you how he is all the time, um, I think that that's something that beginning writers do a lot. Yeah. Um, and um, especially when when they use first person, they find it it's an excuse to just um, talk endlessly about about how they're feeling without um, without actually showing the little details of how how they're feeling, how it works out, uh, how the real world. Uh, impacts that so um yeah so um building a character i try not to show too much um because uh because a, a book is it's like a it they're like musical notes on a page but the, the actual symphony isn't the notes it's what the person reading it 
experience it. Mm-hmm. So you have to give them enough room to unleash their own. Uh, well, I personally don't describe my characters in too great a detail because I want the reader to be able to see their own version. But I know some writers are the opposite. They, they're like every, every eyelash is like exactly described, and and that's also completely viable, of course. And I, I respect that. Um, and I've enjoyed many books that are written that way. And, and yeah, it, it paints your picture and you see the picture. But 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 I I think I I prefer to leave a little opening for the reader to paint their own picture. You see, so so yeah, I I and if you leave it ambiguous enough, the reader can inject some of himself or herself into the story as well. They they can relate it to things that they've experienced. Yeah, I think that's a great description and, and about, you know, leaving room uh, for readers to have emotion because that's really what the point, well, right? You know, <laughs> the idea of, of books, of, of all art really, is, is to to make the other, make somebody else feel something. I mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's what it was about. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about how you construct scenes in serials. Uh, looking at your first few episodes... Um, you're really starting with this conflict. Danger has this vision of someone being dragged and Fluke yeah. finds evidence of blood and a struggle in the janitor's place like someone has been dragged. And then you leave us with this kind of choice or cliffhanger that they make. They're going to go investigate. So you've got all these conflicts and choices and cliffhangers in your first few episodes. How do you think about constructing scenes when you're doing serials? Well, well, I, I've always said you have to know when to end. You have to know when to end the episode <laughs> because because it's very tempting to have the cliffhanger and then go on and explain it. <laughs> um, so the thing is, they they actually do have to hang. And uh, one of the, I think the craft of the serial is that they have to want to come back to the next episode. So no matter. What you have to construct it in such a way as there's something still to be fulfilled. I mean, basically, it's 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 basically the delayed orgasm technique of uh, of writing, where you where you make make it last as long as possible. <laughs> right. So uh, basically, so uh, so yeah, you want to, uh, but you can't. You can't. They can't be completely unsatisfied. You. They have to get something in the next episode that they were looking for. Right. So, and then you have to give them something else to want. So yeah. So basically, every every fifteen hundred words or whatever it is, um, and that's the kind of rhythm that makes it make, that makes the story move. In fact, if they're like the beats or, or the or the. Um, the the, uh, the the rhythmic sort of part of the story, and if you keep the rhythm going, then the reader will stick with you. So yeah, um, uh, I don't know if I, that's the question or I mean, you sort of yeah. said, how do I do it? I'm not quite sure how how I, do that. <laughs> I just know enough. I have to. I just know <laughs> I have to. <laughs> if I don't do it, they it's, won't stay in the door. Right? <laughs> definitely, it's it's very music oriented or ebb and flow, which uh, I like that kind of abstract view of it because that is just as important as the actual like 
word for word structure organization because if you don't have that sensation of ebb and flow as you're writing scenes then i feel like you're missing out on something as well absolutely now they they the ebb and flow doesn't have to be the same each time. Mm -hmm. There's got to be. In fact, you have to have variations on it. It's like um, you know, it's like every line of Shakespeare's blank verse isn't the dum the dum the dum the dum the dum. It's like every line has slightly different, and yet you 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 know that after the five stresses, it's, it's the next line will come. So basically, you know the shape of it, but you don't know where the individual beats will be. I think that's important. Okay. The, the reader does expect a certain structure, I think, yeah. but but then you have to surprise them within that. So you you say in your author notes the story uh, came about for a TV show. We've kind of talked about you noticed how um, shows about high school boys in love were popular, um, but that didn't interest you. And I'm curious, how do you take something that may be marketable but doesn't necessarily interest you and twist it so that it does bring that intrigue and your own special flair to it? How did you go about crafting that? That's that's an interesting question. Because it's not exactly that it didn't interest me. It's that it's just that this genre had not been in my consciousness at all. I, I had, you know, I, I've heard that um, from people who market these things that uh, that that a lot of these stories are, are in in Asia are, are watched by teenage girls, uh, which is a very interesting. Uh, I guess it's a it's quite an interesting sort of uh, market, which I had never really. Uh, known about as such, but um, what I what I did really I I um they these stories do have a certain um, they also have a certain structure. It's basically because because they're not you know so much about sex as about kind of and uh, are they going to are they going to and they keep, and I noticed that this was the the rhythm of it. Where they kept getting closer and closer and closer, but they never actually, they actually never do anything. I mean, this is because the audience is, is, is doesn't want you know some blatant, um, blatant sexual story. Um, and in, in I think in in this in the Asian culture, it's also about the uh, the young readers feeling safer because they're. Um, they're reading about some other gender, um, so they don't feel as threatened. Something like that. This is what I've heard. I mean, I've, uh, uh, some people who try to explain, you know, why why it's popular in this part of the world. Um, so, um, so when I started reading and watching these series, I actually did become interested in it. In it. So um, I don't think I could have done it if I was completely. Uh, if it was completely didn't hold my interest at all, you know, so um, um, but but I was also interested in well, how can I adapt this to something that I'm more used to, some to some 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 genre that I'm more used to, and this is how this strange sort of marriage between the two two genres came about, really. Um, and um, uh, if you look at my work, my non-serial work, you'll you'll see that. Almost all of it is about two genres that shouldn't be together, being sort of forced into an uh, uneasy alliance. So it's something that I, I guess you talked to me about themes before. That is a 
the, and perhaps a theme of my work as well, the, the um, uh, trying to get trying to get things that shouldn't be under the same roof to be to to live together or work together, right? So um, so yeah um, so yeah at at first when when I started to to study this, you're right. I it, it wasn't something that I had ever I'd ever been interested in, and yet when I when I got into the how it works technically, it was actually quite fascinating. <laughs> I love that. So now you have three serials going on. I'm curious, what does your daily or weekly writing routine look like? How are you fitting that all in? Oh, oh, it's hideous. I, oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, I I, I've bitten off more than I can chew, and I'm uh, <laughs> it's not as bad now. Uh, this this month, uh, it's, uh, I, I have more time to work on my serials. Um, but I was I was writing them in snatches in between doing other things all the time. And um, yeah, I have uh, to be honest. You know, I was um, um, in when I was um, when I was um, writing regularly and much younger. Uh, the the copy that I would hand into into my editors uh, at, in, in New York was quite exemplary. And now I've become old and I'm forgetting to put in words and, and like leaving out things. And, I, and every time I look at it, I, it drives me crazy and I, I have to keep redoing it. So that's something that, um, that afflicted me in my old age and it's something I regret greatly. But, um, but in terms of my schedule, well, when I lived in the States, I had a very simple life. I only wrote for a living. And this meant that all day long, I would, um, I would procrastinate. <laughs> and then around midnight, when it was completely quiet, I'd be able to write. And I would write until dawn. And then my, my son, Johnny, would wake up. And then I would drive him to school. And then I would go to sleep. And then, and then when he came back from school, I'd be up again. And I, it was like this perfect routine that actually worked, right? Then, um, then I moved to Thailand and everything went crazy because um, I, I was doing work that required me to be with other people. Um, um, you know, we had, uh, composing music or writing words is, is very much a solitary vice, as it were. But, um, but, but, but now I was like having to try to get money from sponsors and trying to direct an opera or that, something like that. And, and so basically it gave me it drove me completely crazy, and uh, and um, I began to have some sleep-related issues for a while. But um, but um, uh, but uh, I've managed to sort of get it a little bit better organized now. Um, so I I I I'm still not sleeping enough, but I, I I'm <laughs> I'm I hope to survive. <laughs> what can I say? So. Well, I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. To be honest, you know, part of the reason I'm overworked right now is it's it's a kind of PTSD that started when my son died. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so I mean, uh, it, and and I can't say it's a bad thing that much because I am doing creative things. And, and other people are enjoying them, but but 
I think that I, I do need to probably slow down somewhat. Yes, definitely focus a little bit on yourself. Give yourself some <laughs> self care. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. there it is. So, can you tell us a bit about adapting Club X for TV and what that process is like? Well, I would say it's a very eccentric. It was very eccentric because usually you do have a book or something and you adapt it. And what, what this means is that you go through it and find the most, uh, the most filmable or visual or TV looking bits. And you try to pull those out and arrange them in a, in a, a, a TV like structure. And, and you have to get rid of like uh, the expository lumps where, uh, because, uh, because you have to tell the story, it's got to all be, you know, pictures. You're basically telling the story in pictures most of the time. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't true in, in adapting Club X because I was seeing the TV thing in my head and then writing the, writing the novella. So in a way, I was actually adapting a, a TV series that didn't even exist yet. <laughs> <To a zero>. <laughs> <laughs> That makes it a bit easier, I guess. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, but it was certainly easier going the other way. Because yeah. Now it was already, it, it was already all in scenes, right? So, um, uh, I found that, uh, um, I, I have found that I, I've been writing in scenes anyway the whole time, and I, I think some people don't. They, they write a, a, a narrative uh, that. But but I I've always tended to work in in actual short scenes where uh, um, where there's a where there's a shift sometimes a shift of viewpoint sometimes just a shift of location or something and the, the scenes have have usually not been that long so it, it adapted more easily than than it might have otherwise I mean I I I can imagine adapting a tall story or something would be much harder because because that's, that, that's these yeah. long things and you have to figure out what to do with them. Yeah. So I know you said you're kind of trying to slow down, but I'm just curious, do you have any other writing plans in the works or that you're dreaming up? Yeah. I, <laughs> that's a matter of fact. That's a matter of fact. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can end one of these bellows so that I can start a new one. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm working right now. I'm working on a film. Uh, it's, it's in a very, very preliminary stages, but it's about um, it's it's about a, a lost 17th century opera, Italian opera that turns up in the ruins of an ancient Thai city. That's the basic and 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 is cursed. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, I I keep thinking now that I've I've done the Club X thing, I keep thinking, hmm, wouldn't it be nice to to make this into a serial so that I could uh, so I could help sort out the plot for myself. Perfect. <laughs> so that might be the next serial I do. Oh, but it would. I hope it would mean I would actually finish one of the novels. Um, I because the the. The Regency romance with aliens. It's not really a it's not really something that would have ended a sequel, but probably would just end. So mm -hmm. after that one ends, maybe I'll start this one. 
fantastic. Oh, also, the uh, yeah. the Roman. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, the, you know, the, the emperors all die and it's over. And we we know when we know when this character died. You know, he didn't live very long. So, so yeah, I, I can't really go past that. So, oh. perfect. <laughs> So as a final question, what would you say to someone looking to start a serial? Oh. Well, uh, my advice to people who ask me how to be a writer is it's usually don't. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is it that? Because I know that if they have that flame within them, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to ignore you. It's it's better to it's better to warn them first, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Okay. So now all you you have both obviously didn't listen to somebody, or, or you wouldn't be doing this. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's very it, true. Starts, it starts with, it starts off with your parents. Your uh, how are you going to eat? You know, it starts off with that, and and and, and you know um, what if what if you uh, so there are but my advice. If you get through that bit, if you get through all the people who are going to say no, then then I would say that basically my advice would be to have something to say and really say it. Don't walk around, just say it. And make sure that you learn enough about the craft of what you're doing so that what you say is the same as what you meant to say. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And finally, I would say that that you've got to be brave because uh, and, and I've said that to other people, in, in the moment that you're creating whatever it is, you're the only person in the universe who can create that actual thing. That, and so you have to uh, have to have almost a certain level of arrogance or self-confidence or to to and some people they can't actually come to grips with that they they they're, they're they are afraid and it's a kind of hubris they, they're afraid of it but but you have to face this and and say okay i really am going to do this so i would say fear nothing that would be that would be my advice too if, including don't don't be afraid when i tell you you shouldn't do it <laughs> <laughs> Well, excellent. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Oh, thank you. Our thanks today to SP Somtal for letting us break down their episode. And that's, and that's a, wrap. a wrap. But anyway, hey. Yeah. Um this is so, all I could think about when Somtel was talking about rescue rangers. Ready? Who is the chicken's favorite composer? I don't. Bach. Yeah. <laughs>